Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt Filippovitz. Matt, what's going on? Bill, I told you the story of how my Saturday began with me walking home from Home Depot carrying multiple uh, two-by-fours, and I can't believe how stupid I looked just wandering around through and around DePaul's campus just with two big old slabs of wood trying to find the best way to get home. So... I've recovered from that, and now I'm excited to talk about Penn State getting back on the right track against Indiana. Are, are, are we excited to talk about that? Listen, the game was gross. It was, I, I really thought that Penn State was going to lose on Saturday. And anytime Same. they can completely flip the script uh, in two very hilarious ways in the actual ability to throw it deep, and then two fifth-year seniors kicking the ball 30 yards out of the back of the end zone for Penn State uh, to make it a two-score win. It ended up being a pretty hilarious ending to a pretty gross game. Yeah, obviously, if you are listening to the pod, you are aware of what we're talking about. But Penn State picked up a 33-24 to win over the Indiana Hoosiers on uh, on Saturday to move to 7-1 and on the season. Uh, the Nittany Lions actually moved up one spot in the AP poll. Uh, after that, because of Oklahoma's loss, they are now up to the number nine team in the country. I was a little bit surprised none of the teams behind them um, jumped them considering the performance. But I, I think this is, I, I think I wanted to just start, Matt, before we dive into the offense, before we dive into the defense, We're gonna, once we get past this part, we're going to start by talking about Penn State's defense. So if you just want to hear a lot of cope about Penn State's offense, you can uh, scroll to after the home field ad. But... <laughs> this was a very weird game, and it was a very weird game in a lot of very weird ways. I think just generally, I want to start by asking Matt, how are we feeling after that one? Because Penn State picked up a win, but it was a really bad way to go about it. But at the end of the day, it's still a win, and we saw one or two things that we had kind of been like dying to see out of them for for the entire season, essentially. Yeah, you can, uh, what, what's the phrase, Bill? Is it D's get degrees? You can pass a test with a D. Uh, and that's kind of what the the Indiana game was all about. Teams have bad, performance, bad performances all the time. Like, these really great teams have a clunker or two. Like, what was it? Florida State beat Boston College by, like, two. Um, Washington's had a ton of clunkers lately, despite them being a pretty good team. Like, you can go out there and have these kinds of performances. I will say, I really was hoping to see the hangover effect of James Franklin teams after losses not come into play here. We just with all of the new faces that are now big pillars of this team. It didn't happen. They looked slow. They looked flat. They looked disengaged at times. And I understand that. You're coming off a huge emotional letdown where your offense didn't give you much of anything. It's a noon kick against a two-win Big Ten East team that's not going to go to a bowl game. So there's definitely a lot of cope in that answer. I don't feel great, but at the end of the day, every team's going to have a game or two like this. I don't love that it happened this late in the year, but they got the job done, uh, and they actually had to deal with adversity and find a way to win, and they answered the bell. They couldn't do that against Ohio State. It should never have been in that situation against Indiana, but it was. And uh, give them credit, they figured out a way to bounce back from a bad turnover to do the thing we've been waiting to see them do, and then the defense went out there and put it on ice. So a lot of good, a lot more bad, though, I think, after this one. Yeah, I mean, at this point in the season... We are talking about what Penn State needs to accomplish if they want to, you know, have a shot at making the playoff, have a shot at representing the Big Ten East in Indianapolis, have a shot at all these things that coming into the season, a lot of folks were banking on this being the team that was capable of doing it. For one reason or another, they wanted, wanted and thought that this team could be the one that could do it. And I think the reason that I have so much pessimism despite the fact that for the first time all season they had to go out and win a football game in a manner other than 
just like an, a, an incredibly controlled can environment one where oh yeah drew you could just go mess around and complete 49 percent of your passes it's okay like don't worry about this we're gonna everyone else is gonna take care of this or the running game you're not having a good game it's fine it's fine Northwestern isn't going to threaten us all that much. You can have you can have a bad day. It's okay. I I think that my pessimism in spite of that comes from the fact that everything that we are judging this team on right now and trying to gauge with this team revolves around one question. And it's a question that James Franklin doesn't like because James Franklin likes to focus on the weekend and you know all that stuff. Everything right now is, can this team beat Michigan? When Michigan comes to Happy Valley in two weeks, can Penn State beat them? And for the second week in a row, the Ohio State game and this one, Matt, my thought is, if that Penn State team runs out of the tunnel at Beaver Stadium on November 11th at noon to take on Michigan, that game's over by halftime. And we... And we can sit here and we celebrate their successes and the stuff that we like, and we're going to do all of that. But I do not think, as of right now, I think compared to where they were for the first six games of the season, it feels like they've taken a considerable step back, Matt. And if I'm wrong, go ahead, tell me I'm wrong. If you think this was a one-off, because there were, there were a lot of ways where I think there's pessimism about this result that I think were just kind of fluky things, and we'll talk about those in a second. Do you think I'm wrong? Do you feel better, worse, about the same about two weeks from now, Penn State being able to... I mean, we'll we'll talk about Maryland at some other point, but two weeks from now, be able to get over that big hump that is now getting to the point where it's going to define the entire season. This is such a good question, because there's obviously... the, The big thing that we needed to see from Drew Aller, Bill... We needed to see him. I'm very much in the camp that he needed to throw a pick. He needed to rip the Band-Aid off. And I think you said he needs to see the world will not end once he does it. We saw it. I think that's a very big step. I think after that, he actually chucked it deep and let his guy make a play. I think there's a positive in that regard. In the other direction, I really don't think these receivers can carry Penn State to a win against Michigan, especially with Trey Wallace out. I was really, really, really hoping that Trey Wallace was the missing piece and that the reason the passing game didn't look that impressive was because he was out. I don't know what happened. He was in a sling towards the end. He walked to the locker room holding his collarbone area. I hope it's nothing major, but I'm going to move forward under the assumption that Trey Wallace isn't going to be as big of a part of this picture now, if at all. So I'm very much concerned that the passing game is looking to take one step forward, but there are still elements that make me think that's only going to be about a half a step forward, if that makes any sense. Uh, Yeah, I, 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 I get what you're saying there. And then I think kind of on top of it, we saw Penn State's issues with the running game again. Uh, Katron Allen brought a little extra something. He had a, he had a good game. Uh, again, still hasn't broken the big one or anything like that. But the running game as a team, Penn State ran for 3.1, uh, 3.1 yards for attempt. I apologize for not thinking about doing the sooner, but Penn State's two running backs uh boo, 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 give me one second one da, 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 da. no Penn State's running backs ran for 3.97 yards per attempt it's all and I all that or much of that I think just comes back to the fact that there is no respect for Penn State's passing game mixed with the offensive line is like you know it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the season this could be the best one Franklin's had here it could be a six out of ten I'm willing to say it's more of like a four and a half out of 10. The the tackles are good. The interior of the offensive line just has not been good enough. So you look at all that stuff, you look at the defense, you, you look at everything, and again, we're going to take time to celebrate this win, but it feels like not necessarily spiraling, not like the season is going to be over quick, not that you know, next week they're going to lose to Maryland and they're going to lose to Michigan after that. And then that game against Rutgers, they're going to win it, but it's going to be something like 17 to 14 
at Rutgers is going to make their life hell. Like, I, I don't think we're necessarily trending towards that direction, Matt. But I think we're trending. We in, almost were. They they tried their hardest. Um, mm-hmm. I think right now it looks like a Penn State team that it, it spent that first month and a half of the season trying to be something that is just so antithetical to what Penn State football is. On the offensive side, again, mm-hmm. Penn State's defense, we'll talk about their issues. Or two. For the most part, Penn State's defense has been exceptional all season long. But it felt like Penn State made this weird calculation, potentially based on what the receivers are, potentially based on Auer being a first-time quarterback, potentially based on what they thought the strengths of this team were supposed to be. Uh, they made a calculation, and I, I just hope that they are suddenly able to pivot and go back towards being what we all know Penn State has wanted to be for years and years and years. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and the the really difficult thing here is that the defense, I, I think, I'm not really worried about that. They gave up big plays. Yeah. Really, all this defense really does is give up big plays. Very rarely are they giving up long, sustained drives, and that's always been the thing with Manny Diaz. He plays an aggressive style. Credit to Indiana. They hit. They hit on them. And, and you know, good for them. We'll, we'll discuss that later. I think that we saw a fundamental change in the way Drew Aller handles his business and the way Mike Yurcich calls the game. The middle of the field came back open, Bill. You and I talked about it a lot in our Slack on Saturday. There was the ball where uh, Aller is rowing to his left, throws back across. Singleton's in a ton of space over the middle of the field. He makes a great play. The Theo Johnson ball where they go empty and Auer just throws it up middle of the field and lets his guy make a play. That's a big step. The Keandre Lambert-Smith ball. Throw it up there. Let your guy make a play. The deep shot to Malik McLean, which I thought was a pretty good throw. I thought McLean read that pretty poorly. I'll be honest. What do you think about that one, Bill? Really quick. Um, We'll, we'll, we'll talk about all, all that stuff a little bit later. Okay, fair enough. But I... It's hard because I totally understand that in this vacuum of this Indiana game, that performance was not awe-inspiring. But considering what the Ohio State game was, it was a baby step in the right direction. And again, it's probably not a big enough step to go out there and beat Michigan in a couple of weeks. Stranger things have happened. I still think this is the best team Franklin's ever had. And in order for them to confirm that, they have to beat one of the big two and they have to go 11-1. and if they don't, it's a whole other conversation. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. But there's just two sides of this coin in that the passing game still was not near good enough. The receivers were not near good enough. Barely any of them played. But the way they were able to get two touchdowns is not something we have seen in over six weeks. So I'll take that as a positive. Yeah, and... We'll get to that in a second, but we'll start by talking about Penn State's defense and the Nittany Lions uh, allowed 349 yards to Indiana, 269 yards through the air, 14.2 yards per attempt, uh, 80 yards on the ground, 2.4 yards per carry, turned Indiana over, uh, the defense turned Indiana over um, once, and then with uh, the interception that Jaywood Reed got, and then there was the uh, fumble on a muffed punt that they were able to land on, but it was it was an, and also the safety and all and yes, also there was a there was a safety mm. at there, there was a safety that Hakeem like Hakeem Beeman had to have had a there will be a safety in this game bet like I I have no clue how he did not end up with that football at any point like just it I feel so bad because Hakeem and Adisa are both fifth year seniors and those are the two guys with probably their best shot they're ever going to have to score a touchdown in college eh. football and neither of them could just get over that little bit of a hump which was pretty funny. Yeah. And all that all that it was actually very funny because Indiana played this game like Penn State has played it in years past. They stunk on third mm-hmm. down and went 3 for 11 on third down. But they hit those two monster plays in the passing game based off, off of Penn State mistakes, and they had one other touchdown in there, that it, it was like watching a Penn State offense from years past in a way. Uh, but, mm-hmm. how, are, Matt, are you worried uh, about what we saw out of Penn State's defense 
in this game or is this one of those things where you're like yes listen it was annoying but i'm not going to worry too terribly much about this it was annoying it was frustrating it feels like a regression to the mean which is naturally going to happen in a 12 game college football season i think penn state what did they through seven games they've had like six darn near perfect games and now they went out there and they gave up like four runs in six innings is kind of how I'll view that performance. It was enough to get the job done, but it wasn't anything all that special. And that's going to happen from time to time. And the defense has carried this team to six of their seven wins. And it was nice to see the offense finally answer the bell and pick the defense up off the turf and help them go out there and get a win. Yeah, I, I, I think that the defense has earned the right to have a game like this. Um, I, yes, 100%. They've, they've been so good all season long that it's really hard for me to be, like, too pissed off about them having a performance where you, you look at this another way. Indiana scored three touchdowns on the day. The first one is literally... <laughs> they. It's a the kind of thing that they got against Michigan. Michigan. Indiana has just been really good at, we're going to throw one haymaker. And when we throw that one haymaker, we're going to get you. And when we get you, game mm-hmm. like that. That's that's our big shot. And credit to them, they get that. Brendan Zorsby find uh, DeQuince Carter. I think, uh, I think it was Cam Miller who got uh, lost in the sauce a little bit. But whatever. A like, little bit, yep. Not... Not a huge concern uh, because Penn State comes out on its next drive, ends up uh, that that's where the first uh, fumble happens, and they end up scoring on it. It wasn't a pretty touchdown drive after that, but they score after that. You go a little bit farther down, the touchdown to Donovan McCulley, literally a miscommunication and a sort of thing that they mm-hmm. did. That specific thing, that is the first time that's happened this year. And I yep. also think it's worth mentioning, Matt, that. They had that happen on their first drive after Daquan Hardy fields and returns a punt for a mm-hmm. touchdown, and it gets called back. So I think everything just feels a little bit different uh, because a swing that radical ends up happening. So you put those two yep. things in there. They ended up really only scoring one touchdown on a drive that we haven't really seen Penn State give up this season. 12 plays, mm-hmm. 80 yards, uh, that sort of thing. So I'm not too terribly concerned. What I will say, I thought they really missed Chop Robinson. I thought their running yes. defense in the second half was weirdly just not quite up to its standard. And I thought they made yeah. some really weird decisions on how much space they were giving Indiana's receivers on third and fourth down plays. So, like, are any of these things issues that you think were, um, you know, we had hints at them up to this point of the season? Are things that are going to rear their head down the stretch here? Or do you think literally every, if not literally, most things in this game can be chalked up to they had a really bad day that happens? It's tough because... That one sustained drive, I feel like kind of shows that the Penn State defense has been worn down by the last two weeks. Think about it. Like, nobody really played on the defense, really played more than like 40 snaps in any given point of the year. They had to go out there and play a complete game pretty much on their own against Ohio State. And then they went out there, and because of the mistakes they made, they had to play another pretty darn near complete game against Indiana. And I think just with how the season has gone, they weren't used to that. They weren't used to having to be the unit that slams the door shut on a game because the door has been shut pretty much the entire time an offense has stepped on the field against the Penn State defense. So I think it's a Mm -hmm. little bit of, yes, it was a one-off kind of performance. It was three, just tip your hat to them kind of plays to to give up some touchdowns there. Uh, I think them really bottling up when Drew Auer threw that really bad pick in the red zone was really impressive. I thought that could have easily started to spiral even further for Penn State. And credit to the defense, they figured out a way to buck up and get off the field with only a field goal allowed. So I think it's a little bit of 
yes, it's a one-off, but there's also elements here that they really haven't had to do this, and they're still learning how to go out there and play that complete four-quarter performance. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that before the touchdown uh, drive, their first drive of the uh, of the second half, they missed a field goal, but it came on a 14-play, uh, 56-yard drive where they were just happy to nickel and dive and take what Penn State gave them yep. and just chip away, chip away, chip away, chip away. I say that to say this. They had their, they had their three touchdown drives. Mm-hmm. One, one play 90 yards. One play 69 yards. One, 12 plays 80 yards. Here's every other drive that Indiana's offense had in this game. A three and out, a three and out, a three and out, six plays and then a turnover on downs where they moved it 25 yards. Uh, and then a four-play drive that ends in an interception gets the second half. That 14-play, 56-yard drive in there, a three and out, that weird drive after the interception where Tom Allen played for a field goal for reasons that will never make sense to me, and then the safety. Mm-hmm. So I think when you look at it like that, and yes, you admit that there were those lapses, uh, the two big plays for touchdowns, uh, the touchdown that they ended up giving up on a longer sustained drive where Keaton Ellis just had a really you know, perfect form tackle on Daquan Hardy uh, to let him, uh, the guy, walk into the end zone. Uh, there was that fourth down near midfield that ended up being the turnover on downs drive mm-hmm. where it's a fourth and three. The ball is snapped over Soresby's head. He runs runs back to get it. He makes this play where he's able to get the ball uh, to Trent Howland, who has to run seven yards to pick up the two for the first down, and he's short by a quarter of an inch. And it's like, so many of my concerns at this game, Matt, came down to little lapses. Yep. And I think that's ultimately why I'm not too terribly, you know, I, I it was annoying in a way, it was a little bit disappointing, but I'm not too terribly concerned about it being a big picture thing because they little lapses like that are things that I'm willing to say I, I think they they will iron those out, particular, particularly uh, if and when Chop Robinson and the Mean Vanover come back and they have a little bit more depth up front. Yeah, get it right for Maryland. Maryland's a better offense than Indiana was. Uh, you know, get it right and... Hopefully we can kind of put this to bed here and, you know, really say that was the outlier more than the thing we're now yeah. going to have to start keeping an eye on uh, as we get into the last third of the season, which is crazy to think about that we're like in November already. Yeah. And do, do you want to know what else is pretty crazy to think about, Matt? Uh, I'm going to guess it's with the holidays coming up, the deals we can get at homefieldapparel.com. No, I was going to say it's that home field uh, didn't end our sponsorship after that game. Uh, because it's Home true. Apparel, a, a collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis, Indiana, run uh, by a lovely man named Connor, who is an Indiana alum. And uh, God bless him. I think he was busy this weekend because I was worried that my phone was going to be blowing up with him, just like making fun of me, sending me the Michael Penix picture, all these sorts of things. And he, quite frankly, Penn State put forth a performance that would have deserved that. Neither here nor there. Like I mentioned, uh, Home Field Apparel, premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. If you are a Penn State fan and you want to be able to get just new Penn State gear for your collection that doesn't look like anything else you have in your collection, Homefield Apparel is the best possible place for you to get that. And I would say that even if they weren't the sponsor of this podcast, whether it's a t-shirt, whether it's joggers, whether it's a hoodie, whether it's a long sleeve shirt, whether any of these various things, they just had this brand new bomber jacket that they ended up putting out that is beautiful. It's All so cool. this stuff, it's awesome. All this stuff can be part of your collection. For Penn State, if you have a friend, you know, Matt mentioned the holidays, family, friend, loved one, who didn't go to Penn State, but went somewhere else and you think they would have, uh, they, they would appreciate some sort of college gear, Homefield Apparel will have that for their school too, in all likelihood. So hop on to homefieldapparel.com, check out what they have, and if you would like to get 15% off of your first order for a first-time customer, use the promo code RLR23. Again, first-time customers use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Thank you. We get a home field apparel for sponsoring our podcast. Let's get back to talking about Penn State's win over Indiana. And 
it's Penn State's offense. It, it's time to put them under the microscope. Matt, I'm so excited and- to talk about this. I'm like I'm, act, not, I'm actively like super fascinated by a lot of things that happen. Real quick though, before I forget, um, Trey Wallace cool. uh, was seen in the sling, and then Caden Wallace left the game with an industry yes. uh, industry with an injury. He did walk off under his own power. And a uh, hat tip to Mark Brennan uh, of Lions Two Four Seven. I saw this on his Brennan Cam video. Caden Wallace was on the field, like walking around after the game, like shaking hands with the Indiana players. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, uh, I have the snap counts up here, uh, and Wallace play, got 12 total snaps. Drew Shell noted up, uh, replacing him at right tackle. Um, yeah, Penn State's offense picked up 342 yard, total yards in the day, 210 through the air for 6.8 yards per attempt, 132 on the ground for 3.1 yards per attempt. Uh, that one turnover, Drew Auer threw his first interception of the season at just about the worst possible uh, it, it, it was very reminiscent of Sean Clifford's pick six against Purdue. Just when yes. the game he threw it, how he threw it. You know, the, the guy could have fair caught it if he really wanted to. But uh, Penn State 7 for 18 on third downs on the day. Obviously a point of emphasis after they went uh, 0 for a billion or 1 for a billion, whatever it ended up being against Ohio State last week. And Matt, Penn State's offense, like I... They, they did a few things that I've wanted to see them do. They faced a level of adversity that they've needed to face. They did their job in overcoming all of that, and I'm getting all of that stuff out of the way to basically say, like, you know, just thinking about it today, like, gave me horrible agita. Like, I just not... It, it wasn't a fun performance to sit through. Yeah, and I think... We've got to tell the full story here, and I'm really glad you brought up the Cliff-Purdue pick because it really had me thinking. The Purdue game, after that pick happened, I was ready to pull the plug, and I held that against Clifford the entirety of the year, that it was his sixth year, and he had a throw like that. And then, to his credit, he did the thing Sean Clifford did, I think, better than a lot of other quarterbacks in the Big Ten of that era. He was cool, he was collected, he stayed composed, he orchestrated a really impressive game-winning drive, which got, if I remember correctly, like five players caught a football on that drive. He got a lot of people involved. He did what he knew how to do to get Penn State the win. What Drew Aller has not known how to do is to take those deep shots. So he was forced out of his comfort zone by throwing that interception, and he responded by doing the thing we knew he or we hoped he was able to do based upon his recruiting profile, and that was throw it deep, accurately, give your guys a shot to make a play, and let your playmaker do it. They did that to Keandre Lambert-Smith in the best way possible. That was fantastic. I really do believe that ripping the Band-Aid off of that interception in that high stakes of an environment was the best thing to ever happen to Drew Aller. Congrats to him, by the way. He broke the NCAA record for career passes to start a career or passes to start a career without an interception. He broke RG3's record by like 100. That's great. Now let's go win 11 games is really what this has to go to now. He's got the first one out of the way. It didn't kill him. Actually, I think it made him a lot more fearless by throwing that deep ball. And I know that's one play in a very large sample size that says this offense is not up to par. But we're looking for moments similar to like the Irvin Charles touchdown was in 2016, where you can point to one play, I think, as where the switch flipped. I really am hopeful and optimistic that that interception is going to be the moment where that switch flipped. And now Drew Aller feels comfortable and has the freedom to just start airing it out because teams are going to let him do it. Yeah, I mean, they... One thing that was striking to me is that even before that, I think Allers took two or three other shots down the field. Uh, one was to McLean, one I think might have been to... Yeah, I think one was to Cephas, and he just kind of... Uh, bo- both of them, I think, just got bumped off of their uh, bumped off of their line, and then obviously the one to Keandre. Uh, did, did you see uh, <laughs> Did you see Keandre Labor-Smith's quote after the game, by chance? No, I, I know you guys talked about it, because... Y- Somebody brought up the uh, that tweet about like what receivers tweet after games. Was it something like that? I, I was I was the one who brought I was the one who dropped it in uh, okay. into our little chat where it was, you know, there's a very famous tweet about 
what a typical quarterback, running back, tight end, wide receiver tweet is. Uh, Keandre Labert-Smith's quote on the touchdown. So it was, this, uh, this is from, I want to make sure I have the uh, the credit correct here. Um, Sam Woolison of the Daily Collegian. Uh, so it was a slot fade. I seen man coverage. I look no safety. I was ready to cook, not going to lie. Um, unbelievable. I love uh, like that. Like after everything we've seen to still have that confidence and to still have that belief is, is awesome. Like there's every reason to think I can run this route and they will not throw it my way. But for Keandre Lambert Smith to say like, no, I want this ball to come to me is, is awesome. We need that. Yeah. You, you need your, you need your number one receiver to have just kind of that mentality. Especially, I, when you think about it, one of the, the kind of big plays that made it feel like it was not going to be Penn State's day was, I can't remember exactly which drive it was. Was It It might have been the missed field goal drive. Yeah, I think it was the missed field goal drive. It was. I know what you're talking th- about. Yeah, third and 11, Hour throws it down the field. There's no reason Keandre Lambert-Smith shouldn't catch that ball where he just like kind of has to readjust, but he jumps up in the air and it hits him, square the hands and he drops it. And yet, he didn't let that get him down. He kept that tunnel. And anyway, I think Keandre deserves a ton of credit for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am not nearly as optimistic about Drew throwing a pick and being a being like a turning point for him. And the okay. basic reason why is that. We've seen him really struggle this year. Mm-hmm. We've seen him. You, you know, how many times this year do you think he's been chewed out in film for, again, it's not an interception, but he's missing guys who are wide open, whether he's just not getting them the football or he's, uh, you know, not seeing them uh, in a window where he can get them the ball. Mm-hmm. How many a times lot. this year? Have we seen him throw a ball that hits a defender clean to the hands and it just bounces off of their hands? How many times have we seen the offense be stuck in first gear and a major reason why it's stuck in first gear is him? So I just I don't think that throwing an interception is a thing that is going to cause a switch to flip, is going to cause... Um, him to suddenly, you know, come out next week against Maryland and go 35 for 43 with five touchdowns. I don't think any of that's going to happen. But what I think is big for him, the manner in which he threw, not the touchdown to Khalil Dinkins, which it seemed like he did everything in his power to not look at Khalil Dinkins. And then he yeah, did that what, play went on oh, forever. That play went on yeah. for like a year. It felt like. But what I think was big for him, and what I hope was big for him, and I hope this is a bit of this provides a bit of a launching off point, is he throws a touchdown to Theo Johnson where he see, you know, he has a one-on-one middle of the field, Theo's running a go route into the end zone. Mm-hmm. And he just has to put the ball up there and let his playmaker make a play. And I don't know if he doesn't trust his has trusted his receivers enough if um, he just hasn't been looking in those areas, whatever. But everything that we have seen Drew Allard not do this season, he did on that touchdown. He did on mm-hmm. that one to Theo Johnson. And his faith in Theo to make a play was uh, ended up being rewarded for it. And I think that was, I, I, I hope that was a big kind of get over the hump moment for him because he, he quite frankly needs that. That was Theo's first touchdown this year against a team that wasn't UMass. Yeah. I hope that's like that that's ridiculous to me. Mm-hmm. Theo Johnson should be a matchup nightmare, a guy who you are actively hunting out because no team has a guy with the physical profile that can handle him. And then with Keandre Lambert Smith, it's finally connecting on that deep shot. It's mm-hmm. finally seeing what happens when you are able to push the ball down the field and give your guy again, give your guy a chance to make the play because quite frankly, he has not given his guys chances to make plays this year. Not nearly no. enough has he given his guys chances to make plays this year. And when you have something like that drop by Keandre earlier in the game, that's the kind of thing that can, can completely take away your desire to want to give your guy a chance to make a play. So I'm hoping that provides a bit of a launching off point for him in the passing offense. 
what do you think about the at, at this point i think we could probably assume not reporting this is just i've never seen someone walk out in a sling and they're okay two days later yeah how do you think they can or should respond to the fact that it seems like they're not going to have Trey Wallace for a bit after uh, the injury that he suffered in this game? It's, it's what, game eight? That was, it's about to be game nine? Somebody has to step yeah. up. I don't care who it is. Somebody has to find a way to be that dude. And I hope it's Malik McClain. I think Malik McClain showed a lot of promise against West yeah. Virginia. And I can, think can, can him, me, uh, Give me just one sec on McClain. Yeah, hit, hit me. Uh, snap, snap counts. Lambert Smith sixty six, six snaps. McLean sixty one. Cephas forty one. Wallace eight. Malik Mega four. Uh, seems pretty telling to me. Yep. Who's going to get the first bite at the apple to be the guy who lines up across from Keandre Lambert Smith at Penn State needs a second wide receiver. Yeah. So give me give me a link McLean to step up, and then now that it looks like the middle of the field is open for business. I think a lot more 12 personnel Hopefully. is going to be really smart. I really do think that between Theo Johnson and first overall pick Tyler Warren, uh, who real quick at an awesome onside kick recovery, people sleep first overall pick. I think those two can now become a lot more involved. They've been such a big part of the offense, especially in the red zone and especially Tyler Warren. But now if Aller feels confident enough to actually take those 15-yard shots where it's their one-on-one against the linebacker, I want to see them go out there and start to produce in that environment. So I really do think Malik McClain has to go out there and say, this is my job now, and I am going to become a real asset to this team. Or the tight ends are just going to have to say, okay, let's build even more of the plane out of out of that out of that unit. So it's definitely not ideal to see Trey Wallace go down again. But again, mm-hmm. it's game nine. There's a lot of high, high, how do I want to word this? Highly regarded recruits are in that are in that room. There's only one who's redshirting in Carmelo Taylor. Everybody else should view this as a chance to go out there and gain more snaps. Nobody's claimed it so far, and just by nature of what it looked like on Saturday, Malik McClain has to become a true number two if this offense is going to continue to take those baby steps forward. Yeah, I, I think that um, the, the thing with Wallace that he theoretically brings when he's healthy and he's playing is 6'1", 194, really great athlete. He gives you the kind of bigger, more physical threat Mm -hmm. wide receiver um, that, you know, that serves as a bit of a counterbalance to Keandre Lambert-Smith, who uh, is more of a speedy, quick guy. Dante Cephas, more fast uh, option at receiver. And if you don't have, you know, if they don't have Wallace to do that, McLean just makes sense as the next guy. I'm glad you brought up the tight ends mm-hmm. because I think if the if he is out, if Trey Wallace is out, using the tight ends and kind of building the offense around the ability that they have as wide receivers, it's a risk. Don't get me wrong. I don't know what that does. To, I like I. I'm not savvy enough to know exactly what that does to the running game. If it makes it, you know, it makes it even harder to run the football because you have that have one fewer blocker in there uh, to potentially right. block someone because they're not going out into space where uh, they're lining up as a receiver. Just whatever that ends up doing. But I think in Theo Johnson, you have the guy that brings size and athleticism and physicality and can go up and make those contested catches in a way that in a way that nobody else has proven that they could do and then in a Tyler Warren he can bring a bit of that but I'm imagining him as more slot receiver isn't isn't the right way of putting it but if it's a third and four and you need to convert who's the guy who do you trust more to be able to to just bring the ball in than Tyler Warren one yard past the sticks. Mm-hmm. And I think that element of the passing offense, I like I've just I've wanted them to show that all season wall. I wanted to show a little bit more of that all season wall. Keandre Lambert Smith is Penn State's number one receiver with 41 receptions. Two and three are Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren with 20 and 19. 
Uh, yep. The Nick Singleton's in there with 19 receptions uh, as well. Mm-hmm. This is an opportunity to potentially unlock what those guys can bring you as receivers. Mm-hmm. And qu- quite frankly, I don't think they're going to do that. Like they, they've just had Matt so many opportunities to do that and they have mm-hmm. chosen not to. Yeah. And I just have to assume they're not going to do that again, but like it's there for them if they want to do it. And yeah. I don't know if I will trust anyone else on this, in this receiver room to be able to do what Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren at their best can do. Yeah. I I mean, that's totally fair. And Khalil Dinkins is proving to be a pretty efficient guy in his limited snaps as well. So that's also yeah. an option, I think, in you know, what that really looks like for a third tight end, probably limited again. But, you know, if you're at this point, you're looking for guys who can move the sticks. And I think Dinkins can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that means, you know, if that means fewer opportunities, you know, I went through those snap counts again. Here are some names that I didn't read. Liam Clifford. Caden Saunders. Omari Evans, the guys that we expected Penn State to rely on mm-hmm. in these sorts of situations, not just didn't get a reception, they didn't catch a football. They didn't play. Mm-hmm. They did not play in this football game. And mm-hmm. I think if we're going to see, like, maybe it really was just we don't want to adjust that much on the fly. They'll do stuff this week. I don't know, man. It really does seem like if this Penn State team is go going to bring in another body at receiver, it's going to be Malik McLean, it's going to be Dante Cephas, and that's going to be fighting for scraps next to Keandre Lambert. Like I truly, it, it's just so hard for me to imagine that at this point anyone can really separate themselves unless this you know opportunity just leads to it in a way that we haven't seen yet. Man, it's kind of what we thought it was going to be, too. Like, we thought it was going to be Chandra Lambert-Smith, and we thought it was going to be Dante Cephas. If you think back to, like, this winter, and then, you know, Trey Wallace started to emerge, and we've kind of ended up there now, not in the way we were hoping for, but the third guy has quickly become Malik McLean, and again, now either him or Cephas, and I think it's going to be McLean, have to claim truly claim that number two spot. But those other names that you rattled off, I... Again, they've had eight chances to go out there and secure their job, and nobody's answered the bell. So at some point, you have to go with the three most talented receivers on your roster, and I don't think it's a bad idea, or I don't think it's it's a bad line of thinking that that's probably Keandre Lambert-Smith, Dante Cephas, and Malik McClain right now. Yeah, and uh, real quick on the running backs. Any, any had a good game. Thoughts? He, yeah, that K-Tron last little drive. Yeah, that last drive where he just put his shoulder down and made a couple of really nice runs. That's what we were hoping to see all year long where Aller felt more comfortable. He threw some balls over the middle. It made linebackers sneak back a little bit more. And now the running game was able to get going a little bit more. I want to see them build upon it. The running backs have not been outstanding this year. They've been fine. I think if now the (laughs) offense can start existing as a more complete unit, we're going to start seeing the running backs finally hit a couple of those big plays. Here's what happened in the second half with the running backs. First drive, it's a touchdown, 12 plays. Katron Allen, Katron Allen, Katron Allen, Katron Allen, Katron Allen, Katron Allen runs it. Second drive, it's a three and out. Nick Singleton runs it once for a yard. Third drive, five plays, they end up punting. Uh, you know, they were they did a good job an okay job staying on schedule in the, at the very first bit. Then Drew Aller takes a sack for a, a thing that I'll talk about here in a second. Uh, Katron Allen's the back on that drive. Drive where uh, he throws the pick. Nick Singleton was in a running back. Touchdown drive. Katron Allen is in a running back. Katron Allen had a 10-yard run uh, on the drive that ended with the big play touchdown uh, on the first extended drive that went for a touchdown. Eight yards, eight yards, 12 yards. Five yards, two yards, two yards. Singleton on his carries in the second half. One yard, two yards. Mm-hmm. End of game, that drive, he runs for one yard. And then the penultimate game, snap of the game, he runs for seven. At this point, it, it just seems to me, Matt, like Katron Allen needs to be Penn State's number one running back. For as talented as I think Nick Singleton is, the way the offense works right now is just not getting the best out of him. And 
I think as a result, you need to ride Katron Allen and more find creative ways to get the ball into Nick Singleton's hands to take advantage of the fact that he's big and he's fast and in space, he's a really, uh, in space that he hasn't been able to find this season, hasn't been able to get this season, he's a really dangerous player. Yeah, I mean, the fumble on that first drive, I think, wasn't ideal. Mm -hmm. You don't love to see that. But to Singleton's credit, he's second on the team in receptions, five catches for 31 yards. He did have a pretty bad drop yeah. in there as well. That's He's not comfortable doing that just yet. But again, if he can't get anything going in the run game, they're finding a way to get him in space and let him go out there and make plays. But yes, I agree. Katron Allen is the best running back on Penn State's roster right now. There was one play... Okay, so it was on the drive after, it, it was uh, the drive before McCulley's touchdown. It's a third and 13, and I thought this was a really, th this is part of why I was so annoyed with Aller on the day. Third and 13, after no more than two seconds, he decides he's checking down to Singleton for a loss of two yards when there was a guy standing right next to him. And it's just like, yep, that was bad. That That was one of the ones that was making me pull my hair out. Mm -hmm. And that that's those are some that's one of those little flaws with ours. He just is too quick to get there. There was one, and there there were actually two plays that stick out here. This these were moments where I wanted to clip them, and I wanted to find a way to get the email address of everyone who was annoyed with Sean. Who who said like well what Sean Clifford does before the snap can't be more important than uh you know how talented Drew Aller is or what you know whatever that version of it was last year it cost him on the final drive before half uh where he ends up th getting hit for that grounding um hit for that grounding that takes them out of field goal or makes it a much longer field goal mm -hmm. I think that was the field goal the Falcons ended up yeah Falcons ended up making that field goal uh and. Then on the pick, go back and watch those two plays because Aller goes up to the line of scrimmage, sets his protection, you know, 44 is the mic, all that stuff. He then comes back and he doesn't take one final scan of things. He just gets back there and gets ready to hike the football. This. Keandre Lambert-Smith is in the slot both times. Both times, Indiana brings that slot corner on a blitz. And that guy isn't even trying to hide it. Mm -hmm. Keandre actually picks his hand up and points at him both times. And Auer just does not see it. Mm -hmm. Auer doesn't take that extra half second to scan and see, is there anything that I need to be made aware of? Because on both of those times, if he sees that, he checks as Keandre, run a little slant here, gets him the football, mm -hmm. Keandre Lambert-Smith's running for 10, 15 yards easily. And yep. these are the little things that I just don't know if Drew Aller has right now. And I think, Matt, Drew Aller, maybe he gets that after this season. Maybe that's something that makes him a really promising quarterback next year. Mm -hmm. But these are the kinds of things that you don't think about that if he tries to do this stuff against Michigan, if he can't see every single thing that Maryland is throwing at him, Michigan is throwing at him, Rutgers is throwing at him, Michigan State is running at him. We're not going to be talking about whether or not Penn State can win 11 games. We're going to be talking about if Penn State can win 10 games because these are fatal flaws that mm -hmm. put a gigantic cap on what this offense could potentially achieve. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's going to come with the reps. That'll come as things develop. Again, Aller is taking baby steps. He's been, I, I have the numbers pulled up right here. Oh, give me a second. Let me, let me get him back in front of me. He's been about the same, at least in my opinion, to the offense as Cliff was. This is from Will Pegler. So through the first eight games of Sean Clifford's 2022 season, 1,816 passing yards, 16 touchdowns, six picks, and a 61.5% completion percentage. Drew Aller, through eight games of 2023, 1655 passing yards, 16 touchdown passes, one pick, and a completion percentage of 61.4. Essentially the same snaps. They've been about the same. Allers, if you put Allers' arm talent with what Sean Clifford was able to do, mm -hmm. just with all of his experience, you have a perfect quarterback. Those two are existing in different but equally as frustrating ways that I think are holding back the offense. 
and Aller and Mike Yurcich and Danny O'Brien for this home stretch of this season need to make sure that Aller can see everything that's going mm-hmm. on across the field. He can make every throw. He's clearly very it's very important to him that he takes care of the football. Now the last part of this, which is Clifford's biggest strength, is really understanding what he's looking at and making the proper read, the proper cr- call, and then delivering those throws. Yeah, it's it's the thing that that mixed with maybe he just really does need to trust his receivers a little bit more, not be so quick to come off a reason to trust him. Yeah, 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 and it's like things that if they if they can sort themselves out during the season, there's still a lot of football left and a lot of things for them to accomplish. But like ultimately, what I come back to and I think about this game for Aller on a more positive note. After he throws that touchdown to Keandre Lambert, and obviously this is within the context of a really competitive football game, mm-hmm. uh, a game where they're in a dogfight, they had to come out, they had to win it. He showed, he he showed some balls that he hadn't had to show all season. Yeah, and he was kind of the he was in a way the architect of Penn State's demise because he just did not have a good enough game. And as the quarterback, that's something that you have to wear. Mm-hmm. And he came back from that makes that big throw, go back and watch after he does that. The camera cuts to him real quick. He's not a guy who gets like that. He's mm. not been all year a guy who gets like that. He is fired up. His teammates are coming at him, really celebrating, really trying to gas him up. There's that great video uh, that Seth Engel of the Daily Collegian got. Uh, they do that 1-0 cam thing, and... He just goes right up in front of it and screams as loud as he can. He gets that post-game uh, interview with CBS where he says, my teammates have my back all day, offense, defense. There's no one else I'd rather be playing with with all these guys. Everything, you know, life is real life is not a movie. Real life is not storybook. But things are falling into place for him to have a really storybook end of this season. Mm-hmm. If he is able to take this game, kind of, learn from what mistakes he got, get over whatever mental hurdles he had that he might have been able to get past in this one, build on it, and turn it into something successful down the stretch. And I think at that, yeah. this is a really good time uh, to get in handed out game balls. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt, for me, Drew Auer gets one, Keandre Lambert-Smith gets one for offense. I, I like For as good as, you know, for as good as Katron Allen was, Nick Singleton scored a touchdown, Quill Dinkins gets a touchdown, Theo Johnson gets a touchdown, Drew Shelton comes in a right tackle, ends up putting in a pretty good shift. I think it has to be those two guys because we've been waiting for those two guys to do that one thing, and I think they deserve credit for finally doing it. Yeah, uh, real quick, one more thing I want to hit on. uh, Just mention it in passing. Uh, After the safety when Penn State got the ball back and they were trying to run up the clock, it was a Bo Prabula drive. That was new. Didn't see that coming. I think it was Aller for a snap and then Bo Bo for for two two snaps and then Drew took the knee. Yep. Yeah, I thought that was cool. I, I didn't expect that. I was I, interesting. I'm curious to see where that goes. So just what real thing I wanted to make sure that we touched upon because I thought it was interesting. Uh, game because ball. One, of these, one of these days, there will be a Bo Prabula package, whether it's this year, next year, uh, when Ethan Grunkmeyer is the starter. I, I don't know, but there's going to be a, the threat of the Bo Prabula package will sometime, at one of these days turned into a thing they actually do and mm-hmm. at this point i don't care what it looks like you you know you know my thoughts on like these gadget play packages matt at this point i just want to see them like do it once so i can know it exists and it's yeah. not just people going crazy saying oh this is a thing it's going to happen don't worry about it it's coming it's coming you got to be worried about it yeah yeah it, it's going to come sooner but uh, game balls for me I can't really think of two better guys bill than than i mean if you want to give it to katron allen i think he definitely deserves some flowers here but for them exercising those demons, hopefully it has to go to Drew Aller and Keandre Lambert-Smith for me on, on offense. Yeah, and then on defense... Um, I know your pick. I guarantee you I know your pick. Who, who's it going to be? The best defensive end in college football. That You know, it's it, it's funny because he was, he was the guy who I was thinking of, but he also wasn't like... I didn't think immediately it had to be denied Dennis Sutton but then I thought, you know, Chop Robinson was out, and I think that really did hurt them. Mm-hmm. They put a lot on Deny Dennis Sutton. He had a nice game, uh, just 
you know, kind of in general. And then come at the hour, come at the man, Penn State. Uh, in that moment, I wanted literally anybody to make a play and just completely tamp down Indiana's chances of coming back. And deny Dennis undid that. And he he deserves all the credit in the world I for that one. Th- if he did, even if he didn't have a good game otherwise, and I thought he did, he deserves it for that. Yep, yep, I totally agree. I'm going to give my the Jalen Reed. He led the team in tackles again. <laughs> He's a better tackler than I really give him credit for, and I have to keep on reminding myself of that. But his pick, after they got burnt, I think at that point it was twice already, they got burned on deep passes. To still have Jalen yeah. Reed playing downhill and to read the ball and the play really well and make a play on it just says a lot about how this defense can move on from a bad play and stick with that attacking mentality, and it paid off. So defensive game ball for me goes to Jalen Reed. And can I give a special teams one? Yes, of course you can. Uh, Tyler Warren, first overall pick, uh, had a kick return on a weird pooch kick right to him. Uh, you know, be an athlete, love to see it. And the onside <laughs> kick recovery, uh, really, really proving that uh, he is worthy of the first overall pick status. He, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he's... This is he's my favorite bit we've big, ever had. This is my favorite bit. He's in for a... He's... Well, it, part of the reason I don't think it's an especially... I, I think it's a great bit is because, like, I absolutely whooped you in uh, in what everyone thought the, of our two teams there. Uh, but, I like, again, I think he's in for a big big home stretch of the season because... Mm-hmm the kind of reliability he brings as a receiver is something that Penn State really desperately needs. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, shout out to shout out to Tyler Warren. He's a guy who absolutely deserves that and a guy who, again, there are going to be opportunities for him in this final month of the season. Um, any any final thoughts on Indiana? Any final big picture thoughts? Any thoughts on Maryland that you have before we, uh, before we get into Maryland week or you get to just uh, send the folks into the start of their week? Maryland's going to be weird, a little feisty, but they've lost three in a row since that Ohio State game. They're just, it, it's always a weird game. And if there's one like Big Ten team I probably hate losing to the most, it's probably Maryland. So I hope they're able to, I hope Chop comes back. It's probably his last year in college football. It'd be cool to watch him go back to Maryland and hopefully make a couple really splash plays in that environment. Uh, and just, you know, don't look ahead to Michigan. Put on your hard hat, go to work, take care of business against Maryland. And let's see if we can really flip the narrative on this season these next two weeks. Yeah, for me it's it's less it's less that and more if they play the exact game they played this week in terms of you're just kind of at a you know, you're at a 4 out of 10, you're not doing much of any, you know, you're kind of sleepwalking into this one. The difference between Indiana and Maryland is Maryland will make you pay for this. Yes. And yes, I don't no, I don't think Maryland is like an incredible team. They've lost three in a row. They did that thing that Maryland does where the calendar turns to October and they get a lot worse. Um, but Talia Tagovailoa is a guy who's played a lot of football and has had a lot of hard against Penn State. Roman Hembry is a really good running back. Colby McDonald, his backup, is a really good running back. Deshaun Jones, Caden Prather, Ty Felton, all three of those guys would be starters at Penn State. And oh, they yeah. are instead starters at Maryland at receivers. So there's talent here. It's going to be a tricky game. It's going to be a difficult game. And you have to hope that Penn State is able to use what they did this week as a really good building block heading into next week. Uh, and with that, Matt, I think we're good. I love it. Yeah, great, great, great win. Not, not great. How do I want to word this? A win that was needed. A win that they needed. They couldn't win Ohio State, beat them twice. They showed a little bit of growth where they needed to show it. Obviously, you want the defense to be better, but overall, D's get degrees. They passed the, they passed this test, and on to the next one. I'm pretty sure it's C's get degrees. I don't think it's D's. Well, Bill, when the offense gives me a C, or when the team gives me a C performance, I'll give them a C. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure a D would be anything below a 70, and you don't get a degree for that. So, but not, not, neither here nor there. That's if you're in academia, if you want to correct either of us on that, um, please tweet at us at ROR blog. But uh, that's it for today's episode of the podcast. As always, make sure you subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast. You use Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. If you use Spotify, leave us five stars over there. We'll use the Q&A feature to send questions 
in and we'll get those uh, read off on the pod. Follow us on Twitter at RLR blog. Hop on over to YouTube. If you use that as your podcasting platform of choice, subscribe over there. Hop into the comments section. Talk ball down in the YouTube comments. And one more time, thank you to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the podcast. Use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.